Welcome back to an all new installment of the Super Metal Brothers podcast, where if you just don't like metal, then it's Hammer Smash Face. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Channeling a bit of Jim Carrey there for you, Dan, at the start. Yeah, we are talking about Cannibal Corpse this week with the album Red Before Black, but uh, I guess with Cannibal Corpse, you know, it's a little bit like uh, Ace Ventura Better Detective. It's fast, it's funny, and it can be obnoxious after too many listens. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> no. I disagree with the Ace Ventura part. I mean, that movie I've watched beyond, I guess, death. Yeah, it's been massive, massive influence on my life, massive influence on our comedy, which our comedy is more visual, which is why you probably don't laugh as much at our podcast. <laughs> you got you to see us. Like, we're very visual comedians. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're also too lazy to worry about doing the actual camera and stuff and buying lights and stuff like that. So you get what you get, I guess. I'm not getting out of this chair. And we're also going to be talking about a little bit of a sadder note with the uh, passing of Malcolm Young. And we thought we'd bring in to light ACDC and just do a bit of a throw to the fans and just get them to share their favorite memories of the band. And we can go through it. A bit of a sensitive issue. I know you're not used to it. You want to hear us be funny. But uh, I guess we have got the news. So let's get into that. And right off the bat, we are talking about Suicide Silence. Yes, we weren't fans of the latest album either. And so wasn't Jared Dines, according to Metal Sucks Dines was one of those outspoken critics of Suicide Silence this year. But what did the band do with this bloke? Oh, apparently they brought him up on stage and they played a song together. And I, I don't watch the video, but I read the article and that's enough. So uh, will this happen to all critics, Danny? Because if so, uh, what song do you want to sing from your least favourite album this year? <laughs> well, Suicide Silence was probably the worst album. But, you know, they're saying that you know, he was a critic of the album, but I have a feeling everybody was a critic. Trying to, he was probably the least harsh critic, maybe. And that's why, oh, you're like the least harsh guy, which means you still like us to a degree, so we'll put you on stage. Because hard-pressed finding people who like that album. There was only one person who defended the Suicide Silence's honor that we covered last week. But, yeah, he might be, like, oblivious to their latest records. Yeah, before this album, they were pretty kick-ass. It was just like they kind of... Someone either pissed in their ear, like maybe their parents or the label, which I think is just pretty much the same thing these days. So it's the way it is right now. It's, it's not a good album. And uh, look forward to getting a call up. And maybe I can do one of the older songs, please. Yeah, I wonder, did that Jared Dines, did he bring up his, what, 25,000 string guitar? Was, did, <laughs> I don't know. Did he bring it? I don't know. Is that died now? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Queen's Brian May, though. We're talking about good things. He calls Lemmy Kimster the older guy from Motorhead, the original mold of hard rock icon. So he basically sent, considered him as a kind of hero and attendant man. Do those words come to mind when you're thinking of the prolific bass playing skills of the front man from Motorhead, Danny? Uh, you could say hero. Yeah, he'd probably be a lot of people's heroes. Not just musical, but like drinking ability. Oh, That guy there was like a machine, you know, just like bottles of like, I can't drink that much water in a day for how much <laughs> alcohol we drink in a day. So that's correct. Uh, yeah. Look, Rock here is, yeah, sure. He, he was the rock star. He was like sex, I don't know about drugs, but rock and roll. Yeah, there's always oh. a lot of women seems to be uh, present when he's talking to a camera. So I don't know if he just like kind of like has him there on the side and then it's like brings him in or whatever. Um, yeah, he's always the Jackson. He made, didn't he make the Jackson Coke famous as the Lemmy? Which yeah. is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's true. And he also like had a permanent residency at uh, Rainbow Bar and Grill. Even had a statue made there, which is quite nice. Uh, tender man, apparently, personally, he was quite a nice, uh, deep, thoughtful, but deep and thought man. Uh, yeah, if you say it was quite, quite reasonable, quite nice. Brian May feels, I think he's, I feel the same way about him. He just seems like one of those guys who's so like timid and placid in life. So, uh, and the humble nature. I mean, Queen are pretty much icons of their of their genre as well. So, uh, having an icon praise another icon, it's like iconception. It's pretty. Uh, Pretty mind-blowing, actually. I saw that movie, uh, DiCaprio, in it? Uh, I think so. Um, Iron Maiden, Danny. They're announcing a tour of UK and Europe. Oh, obviously, Australia. Are we a part of the Europe nation yet, Danny? Is Australia floating upwards or downwards? Well, based on football, we're part of Asia now. So we've gone from Oceania. Now we're in Asia. <laughs> so once we conquer... Well, actually, we've conquered Asia. So yeah, we'll, we'll go to Europe next. So we're on our way, guys. So just keep on board with that. But uh, they've talked about uh, having someone to support them. And Killswitch Engage is the band. They should have probably gone with a metal band, but it's okay that uh, Iron Maiden went with someone that uh, they know, I guess. But uh, the uh, once metalcore icon <laughs> of the USA, uh, a little bit like In Flames, not as bad, don't get me wrong, but definitely their albums have really pulled back the uh, testosterone-fueled aggression and light of more, I guess, 
What's that singing that's higher and more m- melodic? That's the one. Yeah, you know that that stuff that's like, oh, notes. Like, who's got time for that? Oh, sensitivity. Oh, oh my god, terrible. is there emotion other than hate? Well, I don't want to freaking hear it when it comes <laughs> to my music. But uh, apparently, I mean do. But then again, they aren't the best judges of lyricists, are they? Jeez. Every week, every week, all the time. You're gonna torch Nevermore for being broken up, and then I'm ah, gonna to- I'll torch Bruce. Uh, one of them has a plane, um, so that's kind of annoying. And one of them has nothing. Uh, well, we talked about truth on this show, but what about a liar or something we think is false? And that would be Mike Portnoy having no desire or interest to play with Dream Theater ever again. And this was an interview that came out for Triple M Radio. That's our boys. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's the Adelaide Triple M Radio because I think there's different Triple M's, but we're going to claim it as our very own because we are lazy journalists. Uh, and what we got here from Mark Portnoy is, well, look, I left the band free to do whatever he wants. And then he had no control, but it also feels weird because he wrote a song about his mum dying in a plane accident and they're still singing that song to this very day. So he, songs that he has a lot of you know, respect for and admiration for him now. But he should have probably thought of that before he left. They were going to use his songs for that because the fans want to hear it. So even though he, they, their band has to play it, I mean, that's, they're doing that for the fans. They're entertainers after all, are they not, Danny? Or... Is the band out of line? Is some of those songs too personal and should be off the limits and the respect given to Mike Portnoy? Well, that's... Well, nah. Because unfortunately, when you write a song for the band, it is the band's song to use. I mean, like if, if they're insulting you while they're doing it or purposely sing off key and do like childish stuff like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. feel free to upset. But you wrote... You know, he wrote that song because obviously it meant a lot to him and obviously a lot of the fans probably have the same connection to exactly. the song. So it's still a nice uh, tribute to do it so uh, for him to say it would be quite maybe even rude on his behalf to say that only I should feel have the feeling then why would you make that song public if you feel like yeah the end of the day you? as soon as you as a musician put your music out there it actually kind of ceases to be just your song if any your song at all it becomes a backdrop for the people's song you know they're the ones buying the record they're the ones who now have that song as part of the backdrop of their life they might have nostalgia to it as well. You know, they'll be playing with your grandkids and all of a sudden they hear a blast beat and then they remember that it was a good time when they're playing with their kids and showing them good music instead of bad morals and stuff from like maybe like pop or, you know, um, propaganda from like the Chinese government or something. I don't know. It could be either, either or the same, right? Yeah. So um, what's more important, I think, is that the fans get to hear what they want to hear and uh, their new drama is definitely no slouch either. Yeah, true. But this whole like my important, I think, again, it's like a weekly two weekly thing that he changed his mind you gotta think like he's doing a tour currently called Shattered Fortress right yeah. and he's playing Dream Theater songs so if you're really done with Dream Theater would you like say no I don't want to play Dream Theater songs anymore Whoa. so you gotta argue like Mike Mike sit down Mike Mike <laughs> can you have a talk son you, you know what, you see what if you're doing? we could just be really honest be like you know what I'm not done with Dream Theater. I would always have a space in my heart with him and uh, I, I love it I've, I've you know I still play the songs to this very day because I love playing it um, and be honest with what happened with the breakup with Dream Theater more so, that would be better. But it seems yeah, like yeah. you said, Danny, that he's trying to save face and, um, you know, he wants to run his own pack, but he also doesn't. And it's just, it's a bit of chaos at the oh, moment. That's the problem. His life's a bit crazy. That's why he has all these bands. The more bands you see, the less he can think about his Dream Theater falling out. Mike, yeah. you need face. And the other thing about this as well, Mike comes out and says, oh, with Dream Theater, I wouldn't mind doing like one of those one-off like reunion type shows. It's like, so yeah, you do want to play yeah, with Mike. It's, it's pretty much like, you know, he's been, he had a high school sweetheart and they went through everything together and rah, rah, rah. But it was his first ever girlfriend. So it was the first one he ever made out with and, you know, did the whole horizontal monster mash with and all that kind of stuff. You know, hold hands with and met the parents. Um, then it's like he, he felt like he got bored. Maybe he felt like he had to explore the world and rah, rah, rah. So he breaks away from that marriage, right? He goes and sleeps with supermodels and rah, rah, rah. The best, some of the best musicians in the world, rah, rah, rah. But then he realizes, you know, it's just not the same. So with that, we'll say, unfortunately, Mike, uh, good luck with your... Well, he, he did say something about his dream lineup with the uh, New Sons of Apollo with another interview. But uh, I think his dream lineup will always be John Patricia on guitars, Moon on bass, himself on the drums, and... Russell Allen on the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on. <laughs> can't be James. Yeah. The, the, they should have been Dream Theater's vocalist, but then we wouldn't have Symphony X, so yeah, let's nah. not talk about it. Symphony X are like going up, 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 and Dream Theater kind of stagnating. So good choice, Russell Allen. Clap, clap. Billy Corgan defends Nickelback. Chad Kroger is an incredible songwriter. He talks about that in the Joe Rogan experience. And uh, we've also heard the latest song uh, that presented by Nickelback. Now, Danny, Nickelback are the running joke in heavy metal. Uh, it seems like if you're a metal elitist or just outside of that group of, you know, extreme metal heads where you carve Slayer in your arm or, you know, just be unemployed, either one's fine. 
What do you think? Do you think uh, Nickelback really are getting hard done by it, or is it fun to have someone just that fits just on the outside on the border that we could poke sticks at? Well, because I've only got like one metal card left, and I can't I can't listen to Nickelback albums. Otherwise, I'll take that metal card from me, and then I can't do this podcast anymore. So technically, I've never actually probably heard a Nickelback album, so I can't really comment on are they being hard done by. I can because oh, okay. I've actually heard a Nickelback album. Um, oh no, give me that metal card. <laughs> yeah, well, no, the funny thing is not by choice. I mean, that's just silly. Like, why would I? Um, it's just that, like, obviously, I find Nickelback is very strong in the female demographic, you know, um, talking about all things like sex and relationships. But I find that the riffs generally have been okay with me. They're, 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 fairly, they're fairly good for a pop, rock, metal kind of vibe. It's just that Chad Kroger's voice, man, I just, like, I hear it, and it's like there's so much strain and... Uh, whale to it and that that doesn't float my boat so it doesn't quite work for me um just personal tone you know it's splitting hairs maybe seems a bit superficial whatever but it's just something that i don't really get into even the new song the new intro is very cool the riff's kind of nice but uh you know chad kind of comes on the thing and i'm like ah dude it's not really my kind of thing dude but uh the whole hate thing about it is a bit yeah it's a bit full-on i think that's what happens it's like mob mentality people one people starts pack up here Attacking Nickelback and everybody's attacking Nickelback. So it's unfortunate for them. They, they just have to like suck it up. And if they if they go with the joke and run with the joke, people probably stop going with them. Yeah. But they, they keep trying to defend and attack Corey Taylor. Like, ah, oh, it's a joke. Well, it looks like uh, people attacking people is a theme of this week because we got ghosts where they've failed to reach agreement between the Tobias, uh, the, the lead singer, vocalist, whatever, songwriter apparently, and the rest of the four other members that uh, were... I guess they were, we've covered this story a few times and it seems like the band didn't get what they felt entitled to, but Tobias has come out and said for this, uh, this whole problem that they weren't really entitled to anything. Yeah, he's called himself a one-man band and those guys were just like session users type like thing. I guess not, yeah, pretty much session users. They're not, they weren't part of the band, but then it's come out like all band members actually had a say in decisions and that, so it wasn't a solo project and they, they were promised uh, monthly wage, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so they're not all happy yet. So it looks like the lawyers are going to win on this yeah. one. So. Because the funny thing about music is that in metal these days, it's pretty hard to see any kind of that thing called money. It's a bit of a valuable resource, you know. It's kind of tough, you know. And when these guys finally did it, it seemed like maybe some sort of like agreement can kind of go through the camp. But the only thing they can agree on right now is disagree of how much everyone should be earned. And that is, like you said, only one person is going to win and it sure as hell won't be the band. No, and the fans are going to suffer. You know, no one thinks about the fans anymore. It's always nah. about the band and the lawyers and the money. Yeah. Well, I was talking about bands as well now. Moving on to Ozzy Osbourne. He doesn't ever think he'll retire completely. This just comes after announcing his final world tour with Ozzy Osbourne. And he's just done one with Black Sabbath. So to come out and say he probably won't finish retiring, that's a very John Farnham thing to do. <laughs> it seems um, that way. You know, way to admit it. So, you know, if you do not see the last Ozzy slash um, Black Sabbath show... Feel free, if he's still alive, he might actually play in your hometown. Yeah, don't buy any like memorabilia, like last <laughs> tour. No, 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 that's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap, yeah. It's the last tour for that year. I'll give him that much, but it's not that like, Yeah, you're right. I'm to say that, not officially retire. Unless he's going to go into something else like, I don't know, promote a record label. I, mean, I don't know. Well, he considers that he'll do gigs, but he won't do tours, which basically means he probably won't travel to uh, a country and do, you know, 38 days in a 40-day stint there uh, of playing, singing, and all that kind of stuff. I think he'd be like, all right, I'm going to go to the States, play three shows, and then collect the rest off royalty. A little bit of that Stan Lee guy, you know? We were talking about Comic-Con that happened yesterday, and that guy gets $200 for a signature, and that guy had a lineup for what was about three days almost, and it only goes for two, so what's going on with that? Yeah, and that's for people who actually got him, man. There are other people, they're still like trying to swim across to like the Murray to get it. <laughs> but you're right, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, obviously, he obviously loves it for him to keep saying they keep wanting to do it, but eventually his voice is going to have to give up. Even like some of the higher stuff now he really struggles with. So sure, he can perform, but should he perform? Mm-hmm. All I know is that Kaya Elliott has now given us our first uh, listener response and he wants us to cover Gene. Uh, we're talking about Gene from uh, Kiss, aren't we here, Danny? Yeah, the um, the Gene Award was named after this German, and apparently he's won it twice this week. First time ever someone has won it twice in one week. So, Gene, you've outgened yourself. So, basically, Gene Simmons, bass player from Kiss, has featured quite a lot here for doing very Gene-like things, which are pretty much like you know trying to trademark the metal horn. 
uh, you know, really douchebag kind of things that, uh, you know, really isn't really worth doing because it really belongs to the people. But if he can make a buck off it, you know, he will try to do it. Uh, and she wants us to cover the whole, um, there's this one other thing about the, um, believes that, Gene Simmons believes that women must choose between a family and career. Uh, more importantly, I think uh, if Fox News doesn't want to have you on your show for inappropriate behavior, you know exactly what Gene Simmons is. And he's like the most conservative guy that anyone knows. And they won't even let him on the most conservative platform anymore. Yeah. So even Fox Sports and Fox News are giving him the Gene Simmons Award every year. Welcome on yeah. the Simmons Brother podcast, uh, I guess, you know, selling all our ideas. But hey, I don't blame him. They're good ideas. Yeah, he's, he's been all over the shop lately. But to be fair, he's actually... Gene's also a bit clever because he has a, he's trying to push his book. He's also got like his solo tour coming out. So this is also a great way to get him back in the spotlight and get him relevant because, you know, well, I guess he's always been relevant this year. He's always said stupid things, but this yeah. is another thing for people to talk about. But I mean, the stuff he's saying is just stupid. Like the whole, the whole women in career thing. Then he gets off and talks about, oh, women can use their sexuality and they should, but they shouldn't. And yeah. men can use their sexuality, but they shouldn't, but they shouldn't. Yeah. And it's just, it's just all over shop. Like, what? Are yeah, you so right, don't, man? don't worry, Kai. He's pretty much running the front runner right now in a one horse race, and he's got this finest steed in the uh, farm. So he looks, in, he looks in fine form there, Gene. So don't feel too bad. Uh, he'll probably make his list or our list at the end of the year. Oh, I just. Don't go to his show, anyone. Please, please <laughs> stop don't. supporting. Don't support this bloke. He doesn't yeah. care about you, your feelings, your thoughts, your your respect. He just cares about what's in your wallet. You know, I have a feeling when Gene does his like tour, it's like, I don't know if any of these people have taken. Uh, it's called Ryan Air. It's one of those budget airplanes in uh, Europe, and it's like Tiger, but somehow even oh, worse, even which is even possible. Yeah, because what they do, they charge you for every little thing, like you know, the book a t- uh, chair, overhead compartment, blah 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 blah. I have a feeling jeans like concerts gonna be like that. Oh, you want the chair option? Well, that's an extra ten dollars. Oh, you want to actually have like a, a spot in the toilet? Oh, that's a ten dollar thing. <laughs> How long do you want the toilet red for? All that. Oh, you're gonna use all that much poo? Well, we're gonna weigh your yeah. feces and see if we need to charge you more. If you want to go outside have a smoke, oh, you need to buy a ticket to enter and re-enter. Well, we're talking about tours, but you just said before, Danny. Guess who's not gonna be doing much anymore? That's right, Vans Warp Tour. I didn't really give you a chance to respond, but I was on a roll there, so you can't really blame me for that. Uh, the Vans Warp Tour, Matt. Yeah, the Vans Warp Tour. So basically, this is kind of like one of those things like um, the Big Day Out and stuff like that. It's a cool little festival. Got some cool sideshow kind of things going on. Since 1995, it's been going on. Uh, I guess just like Soundwave and Big Day Out, though, good things cannot last forever. And this had a very short life. Oh, 24 well, years. Yeah, but- I know. But like, I would consider like it should be like going Ozzy Osbourne terms, not like, you know, no. um, who's that guy from Queen? Um, oh, no, they're all alive apart from the other guy. It doesn't matter. I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, I hear what you're saying. Anyway, but in 2019, they're still going to do a warp. Uh, I think it's a tour. I think it's, like, it's going to be like a festival in one location. Instead of doing like a tour which goes from coast to coast yeah. in America, I think they're just going to be like a localized yeah. um, vans. Yeah. Concert. So more well, like, like yeah. things like Download and less like Chester Bennington. That's what I'm trying to say. Like life cycles. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So, yeah, so maybe, yes, because Vans used to come here to Australia. I think they've stopped recently. And yeah. So, it's nothing which stopped. But download started. Yay. So, is heavy metal today boring? Well, I don't seem to think so, Danny. Is heavy metal boring? No, I mean, this year's been great. Well, yeah. But uh, one person named of Wes Borland, yet you know him as the 90s sensation as Limp Biscuit. Not a sensation. Well, you're probably right there too, fictitious listener. But he's talking about why metal was boring in the wake of the return of comedy metal such as Big Dumb Face, whatever. Uh, he's basically replied saying that he's not interested at all and that he's been keeping up with metal over the years and he's just not interested in any of it. So, um, I mean, he talks about, he drops some names like Death and stuff like that. And some yeah, like black metal. Early 90s black metal. Oh, yeah, you're successful. so cool. Naming all the big bands that were like underground, like air quotes. <laughs> yeah, like underground, like in the 80s where everyone like, knows them now and people are like, yeah, they're there, yeah. They're there they are, you know. Um, let's, let's educate our friend Gene. I mean, sorry, Wes Borland. It's <laughs> <laughs> about why metal is not boring. Evocations album this year was pretty awesome, right? We were talking about that. We had some mail. He likes black metal. Why don't you check out some mail? Or why don't you take some septic flesh, you know? Um, these guys can wrestle with the best of them, I think. Uh, he must be wearing too much, dude, his mask too tight, or wearing too much of that uh, face paint and getting into his brain, the poor bloke. I don't get it. A guy who, like, apparently made all his money off being a new metal guy is coming out saying metal is boring. And now they're making a comeback next year. Again, I think it's just clever promotion work, get people pissed off and make them relevant again. I don't know. It's just, 
it just seems like a kicking the face of everybody out there. Like, yeah. oh, you know, just, just I, I, I was like revolutionary in the 90s. I was doing new metal, so new and different. What you guys are doing now is just so boring. Ugh, it's boring. It's so like, it's like, we're just talking about being elitist before, but like, you've got such a platform now making some serious cash. Spend the like 20 minutes of using that thing called the internet and like Google some bands that you haven't actually heard of and like dig a little deeper. Of course, if you're going to like look on the face value, yeah, it's pretty much been the same kind of thing. Like, for example, Nickelback, Slipknot, um, all that kind of stuff. Even Metallica has been done to death, you know. But looking underneath that, then the second tier, the bands who don't get the nearly recognition they deserve, there's some fine-ass frigging metal coming through. Yeah, this guy's a bit of a dick, man. Now, yeah. we're going to step off metal at the very end of this right now and talk about In Flames. That's right, they are releasing oh, a man. covers EP. Uh, soon, it's going to have things like Alice in Chains, Depeche Mode covers, uh, even Chris Isaac. I can't believe that they're actually doing things heavier than them with Chris Isaac. Ah, <laughs> sick burn. Sick burn. Uh, I'm not interested. I'm not going to review it. I'm not, I do not care for In Flames at all. That Battles album broke my spirit. Yeah. I, uh, I, I once loved them, but they changed, and now they become like that meth addict across the street from us who won't stop yelling at our cat that we don't have. So with that, I would say... Keep stealing a newspaper as well. Oh, man, you know what I mean? I don't even yeah. buy it and they just steal it anyway. So yeah. with that, I would say, In Flames, congratulations. I will not look forward to reading that, viewing that album. But do you think this was like studio or the record label asked them to do it? Because they only released Battles last year. Now they're yeah. releasing a covers album this year. Do you think they, the record label's like, you know, you guys sold Bugger All. I want more money. Yeah. And I don't want to put any effort into it. Yeah. So we made this covers album for all... Yeah, the- because we want you to like tour relentlessly as well. So we can't go through that whole writing process which your fans probably won't like you doing anymore. So why don't you just steal off bands that you're ripping off for the Battles album? How is that even better? Like how is like ri- literally doing like the stuff like that which is what your bands don't want you to hear, what I want you to play, and then you're doing covers of it. It's like a double slap in the face. And you know what Inflames probably had to do as well? They could probably pick songs from their label. So they're going through the list. Like, yeah, there's no metal bands here at all. Like Chris Isaac, <laughs> I got Nickelback, I got Limp Bizkit. They're not metal. I don't know. Uh, oh. oh, anyway, guys, we're going to jump over to our podcast question this week. We're going to change the tone a little bit because late, lately we've been doing podcast questions that are a little bit more funnier, a little bit lower, lighthearted. But right now we have to talk about one of the legends in Australian heavy hard rock, and that is ACDC. Now, little people like uh, out there would know, I guess, with Malcolm Young's um, impression of the band. I mean, I think for me, Angus Young's probably more iconic with his stature and stuff like that. But we must not forget that this band is layered with two riffs, like two guitarists to do the riffs, and these riffs are iconic and splendid. Have changed so many lives, not only here in Australia but across the world. In fact, we did we watched that uh, documentary, and these guys were massive overseas before Australia recognised who they were. So maybe one of our greatest sins. Well, that you know that could be up for debate. But what cannot be debated is their impact they did have on the whole entire community in the hard rock community, pop. It doesn't matter. It transcended over boundaries. And for that, we must talk about ACDC and respect Malcolm Young. And what's the best way of doing that, Danny? Our best way is guess, getting input from like people who love the guy. Yep. So it's always the best thing to do. Is like whenever people pass on or die or seriously ill, you always like to reflect on the good moments and what, how it touched other people out there because that's right. what music's all about. It's how it affects people and what they get out of it. And the thing is for me, I'm not an ACDC fan. I did grow up on the stuff like Dio, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Rainbow, that kind of stuff with the Richie Blackmore kind of thing. However, it was good that we thought, we thought, you know, why don't we get the fans to explain to us why these guys are so impact on their lives and maybe we can help uh, bring some more light to the, uh, to the memory of uh, Malcolm Young and how he, we lived through that kind of thing. So, Daniel, let's uh, read it from the top. Yeah, it's very quite a decent input. So, thank everybody for replying. Our first person was uh, Jamie Jackson. His favourite uh, ACDC songs were Dirty Deeds, Jailbreak, Baby, please don't go and Hell's Bells. Yeah, they're just actually doing Hell's Bells right now at the LA United Games, but they only do the start of it with the bells, like and they do 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 do, and they cut it off for Wonderwall. So it's it's like the biggest like get your get your sexual organs out thing for your favorite attractive porn star, and then all they do, all they do is like flick it, and you're like, oh, that was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, or they turn a cold shower on it. Oh, <laughs> Like punch you in the dick and you're like, ah, yeah. that was not what I wanted. <laughs> you promised it was going to be blowjobs and cake. <laughs> cake. Wait, what type of cake? Okay, um, Kaya Elliott, uh, Shook Me All Night Long was the first song I ever recorded. 
To say Malcolm was an influence is an understatement. It's another big loss for rock and metal and a huge loss for the Aussie music scene. R.I.P. Malcolm. Yeah, this is going to be interesting now because we do look forward to seeing who will then rise and take the staple away now after the torch has been you know, handed across sometimes willingly or sometimes, like you said, from the fiery depths of uh, the cold, dark underworld. So it'll be interesting to hear now the next rock and roll band that will come up and, uh, and help fill the void as it would be. Yeah, we had like Airborne. They... Yeah. they I know that they're still touring, they're still doing choir war. They were really massive at one stage, like their stuff were hitting the radio. I think video hits might have one or two clips, and they're pretty much like an ACDC style. Yeah. Um, even as lead singer has that type of sound to them, tone. So they've been going around. Um, yeah, but apart from like Australian really heavy hard rock. Hard rock, yeah. And yeah, I don't really know what's really dominant. Darkness aren't Australian, are they? Who? The darkness aren't Australian. Nah, the English. Yeah. Oh, they're making a comeback as well, but yeah, we wish they were like sporting stars and we could have adopted it as our own. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the question. Like Malcolm Young and like Angus, they were born in Scotland, but then they were, they were born and raised in, I guess, ACDC formed here. So yeah, it's kind of adopted Aussies. Same as like Jimmy Barnes again, Scottish born, ah, Australian raised. Near enough's good enough. Is that right? Who else we got, Danny? Yep. So uh, Robert Walker. He said a night prouder is a favourite, and the Razor's Edge. Uh, Daniel Sertablad. What do you do for money, honey? Flick off the switch and touch too much. So we're getting like a lot of different songs here, which is really good. A lot, a lot I've never heard before. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like a great band like this, and this is what you guys see here automatically, is that they write great songs across the board and different songs will reflect with different people because, you know, they've got a different connection, different experiences. And that's the one thing which is, like you said, with ACDC, great songwriting across the board. So who else we got? Yep, then we've got Jake Pipe Dream. Uh, Sin City, Touch Too Much, Have a Drink on Me, For Those About to Rock, etc., etc., smiley face. Yeah, and uh, these guys, uh, both Daniel and Jake, are fairly good guitarists. They've got some mad chops and good songwriting skills as well. I'd like to know how many things they borrowed from the band ACDC for their own songwriting, like I borrow from Symphony X. Well, nevermore. Uh, I wish you could borrow from them more, but unfortunately, that hiatus has gone a little bit longer than anticipated. Yeah, well. And then finally, it's uh, Patrick Malone. He said, Fly on the Wall was definitely my favorite. Completely underrated as well, in my opinion. The title track and Sink the Pink are definitely the best ones. Second favorite album would be Razor's Edge with the likes of Rock Your Heart Out. You uh, Are You Ready? Razor's Edge and Money Talks. Tracks that deserve honorable mentions are Who Made Who, Jailbreak, Gone Shooting, and For Those About to Rock. Yeah. So um, I guess the one thing we have to understand is really like this whole thing for the love of ACDC has gone even spilled over to bands like Megadeth and stuff as well. You know, it's been felt throughout the whole entire world. And I really just feel like they have this great Aussie friendship about them, that mateship that really rings true and the, the personality that comes forth from their film clips and their interviews and stuff as well. And like you said, maybe it is the Scottish part, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, um, is there anything coming to mind with you, Dan, when it comes to ACDC? I'm going to give you credit. These guys here, Back in Black is the fourth largest selling album of all times. Oh, you got to think, for a hard rock band out of Australia, that's pretty massive news. So you got to give them credit, man. That's, they, they came in, I think, in the 70s and just kept going since then. And, oh, I think it's an amazing, amazing attribution to have. Um, I mean, Australia's had other big hits like Kyle Minogue, et cetera, have also done quite well, but it's it's amazing yeah that's funny because in that time you know the the rock scene here in australia was actually quite influential overseas as well even bands like midnight oil and stuff like there was that whole type of cold chisel as well these bands were like getting noticed as well like it was it felt authentic it felt like australian hard rock real working class you know uh grinding it out um but a bit of fun it had that personality which i think other bands across the world lack that in their rock and roll where uh, I think Australian can kind of hear that. I'm not saying that it's bad, I'm just saying that it's just a certain different take on the rock and roll genre and maybe that's why it transcended and did so well. Yeah, I mean, I think one ACDC memory I have is uh, our cousins love uh, You Shook Me All Night Long and they always like to put down a karaoke. I remember one night we went down to PJ O'Brien's when it was still open upstairs. We did that as a song. But people don't realise like how high like Bon Scott and... and um, Brian Johnson actually sing. They think, oh yeah, they're such like a strong but unique tone. I think, oh yeah, I just sing and sing. But you're really like an octave yeah. lower. And these guys got the chance to sing such brilliantly over such great songwriting and the riffs. So uh, we'd like to just, you know, say out there to anyone out there who's affected by Malcolm Young, you know, uh, live long through his memory and keep those songs playing through. And uh, through that way, we get to experience the joy they give us every day.
Yeah, definitely true. I mean, there's probably been so many other bands which have been come because of Malcolm and Angus Young so playing and songwriting that you got to be thankful for all these other bands which were inspired from these guys. And I think that's the greatest thing is that if it was four bands like ACDC, there's probably so many other bands we wouldn't have today and so yeah. much music we wouldn't have. So it's just it's just it's amazing what one or two people can do to like mm. everyone else in the world. So great. So yeah, that was that was a nice little series episode. But I think it's time to tell you more jokes. So I think we should go. And I guess this band is no joke, but uh, we're going to have fun talking about it anyway. So let's go on to our final presentation, the CD review this week. Legends of the Death Metal. We are talking Cannibal Corpse. You know the band. You know, infamous for incredibly brutal album covers, guttural vocals, a singer that has no neck, and some of the craziest guitar work you are likely to hear on what sounds like a seven string, but still might be a six. So in that case, Danny, let's talk a little bit about Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, Cannibal Corpse is a... A legend of the death metal genre. They've been going around since 88. This is their 14th album, which is called Red Before Black. They're from Buffalo, New York. New York! New York. And to be fair, they've only had eight members. So that's actually quite a surprising for a band of this like genre. To be around for so long, only had eight members. It's great. And two of those has been like ex-lead guitarist. So yeah, yeah it's so been quite We've cool. got guys like Alec Webster. You'd know him from also doing Conquering Dystopia with the one... Keith Murray and Jeff Lomas. Um, we've also got guys like Paul Mazurik, which is the drummer. George, the guy with no neck, Corms Grinder Fisher on the vocals, obviously. Rob Barrett on guitar and the one and only Pat O'Brien. How do we know Pat O'Brien? Well, a little band called Nevermore playing with the old Jeff Lomas back in the day. But Jeff attests, uh, did, did acknowledge that uh, the guy always wanted to play with Cannibal Corpse. It'd be the first thing he puts on, the last thing he listens to. And being in Nevermore was just there to fill the void. So cool. I guess, you know, there are people out there who don't like Nevermore and this is one of them. So why are we even this album for then? Like, hater of Nevermore? Well, you know, let's talk about this band a little bit more. What else you got for us, Danny? That's pretty much what I wrote down regarding their <laughs> backstory. I guess like, a lot of people... Um, would have known it through the Ace Ventura movie yeah. when they did a guest cameo with Hammer Smash Face and it's a great scene. Uh, again, like the biggest story, of course, was the album covers. A lot of the album covers here in Australia had to be black. Censored. Puff. Yeah, censored. Apart from like one little square would be um, seen and the rest would be like surrounded in black. Yeah, like stuff like you'd have a, a decap, like no, not decapitated, you'd have like this like leprosy um, infested um, woman who's got her vagina out being eaten by another zombie looking thing uh, decapitations mutilations all that kind of stuff you know it doesn't just feature in their song lyrics it features strongly uh, and the thing is as soon as you put a parental sticker on the front of it you're guaranteed one thing that the kids are going to eat that shit up and uh, I guess that notoriety really worked well for them oh definitely right I mean you, you didn't know who they were until you see stuff like that like Again, it, it makes it to the media. Before, most people didn't even hear of ca- uh, Cannibal Corpse. And all of a sudden, oh, uh, we've had our parental virus sticks been placed on Cannibal Corpse's latest album because of the uh, graphic nature of it. Uh, well, who's this Cannibal Corpse? Yeah. And straight away, people get like, oh, i got to check this out. Yeah, and uh, this isn't just uh, a thing that's the heavy metal community. Like, even Rap Noah as well, you know, talking about shooting cops up and stuff like that, you know, or whatever. They know the night rider they get, you know, all this kind of stuff, and they just love it. You know, bring all that controversy on board, you know what I mean? Some of these people pretend to be killers on their album just so they know they can get a few or more of that extra squids from those teenagers' pockets. Yeah, I don't get it. The corpse grinder, man, he's the man that, like, the man with the windmill neck. That neck is like, it's like two necks. Yeah. Like he, someone says that he looks like a thumb. I'm like, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, it's, just it's literally chunky. Yeah, it's just a chunk thing. It's like a pelvis and a chest and another pelvis. But in saying that, we need to talk about this album, Red Before Black. Now, the one thing that these guys have done for 14 years is talk about pretty much gore, I guess, um, and the return to this album with some pretty hammed up, obvious stories about, if you can call that, about mutilations, death, decapitations, I guess. Pretty much what was on the album covers back in the day, which still is today, more of that. Pretty much if you've got like a hammer and you smash it in the face with it, that's how like blunt force it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's how not subtle their lyrics are. It's like, oh yeah, I see what you're doing there. Oh yeah. yeah. Hey, that's their style. So we'll talk about the, the uh, tracks going into it. So first off, we got uh, uh, Only One win, uh, Will. Only One Will, right? So it pretty much right off the bat, like you said, it's a thrashy kind of environment where it's pretty much hitting you from the very, very uh, start. It's The vocals are there. It's not, the growl's not inaudible, but 
you know, you wouldn't be able to decipher these lyrics without a little bit of help of the good old internet. Maybe Google can help you out. Or maybe you bought the actual physical copy of the album, which, you know, do give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, I mean, here in Australia, actually, I don't know if they... Some of these bigger bands are in JB Hi-Fi. I'm not sure if Cannibal Corpse have made it there yet. Normally, you have to wait another week or two until it makes stores, you know. And the one thing you really get straight off the bat is the amount of riffs that are in each track. I mean, the guitar work is sublime. There's just no way I was putting it. There's just so many ideas getting thrown up. And it always feels like in every track, I know this is like going into it, uh, there's there's a there's a moment of of awesomeness, but I don't want to get into that till the end of the um, album review. I don't want to like give away all my cards just yet. So uh, the second track, the self title name of the album, Red Before Black, it's more of the same. I feel you know it's got some sinister more tones, a bit more of that chromatic style, and uh, still pretty fast, you know, like the rest of the album. And I kind of got the feeling like this band is like a better version of the Haunted right now, <laughs> you know, like if the Haunted ripped off more Cannibal Corpse and less metal, melodic like death metal. I feel like that would be the thing that push them over. Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, I mean, this song here, you're right. It, a slight, short, slow intro, and then it goes yeah. into its um, fast and thrashy, but then a little, little change to the feel in the middle to help break it up a bit. Because um, these songs aren't like ultra long. They're between like 3.30 and 4.30, so, yeah. but they always seem to make room for a solo. I don't know how that works. Oh, yeah, and don't worry. I'll talk about that <laughs> a little bit in a sec. Yeah, like, so, yeah so that's why. So the chorus is a little bit catchy. I mean, like... you could potentially sing along to it because short stuttering words yeah you know? i know the song structure uh, straight away like you get a feeling that there's a structure to them but it's a little unconventional like this isn't exactly the chorus where everyone sings but it's not exactly the verse where it's unrememberable and you don't want you're just waiting to hear the chorus it's not a butcher baby song oh <laughs> terrible <laughs> uh code of the slashes uh good change from the intro it's nice and slower and groovy which is nice before obviously goes cannibal corpse um yeah, it's got some uh, nice little things. Better in the second third of the song as well, which I, I will get to a little bit later on. But again, it kind of does pick up and then the solo hit hits again. Um, it's just, again, another song with so many riffs. It's like a joke. Yeah, and then they use like the change up with the drums as well. So not just the riffs, the drumming is quite pr- pronounced as well. Like they'll yeah. change up, you know, double kicks were needed, blast riffs were needed, help with the singer, help with the guitars, et cetera, et cetera, help with the transitions. So they did a nice thing here. Like after melodic intro, they cut into a double kick, which yeah. double kicks after the melodic stuff, just a nice way to transition to like yeah. the next heavy scene. Um, the ending's pretty tough when he goes like effing life and then yeah. um, the playing of that, that's quite that's quite tough. Unlike Butcher Babies, who like swear for like no reason and it makes yeah. it like silly and childish yeah like she forgot her keys or something this guy feels like you know this is really yeah. like he's like get out of my way bad. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah yeah but in saying that like you said if you're reading the lyrics too much and you don't take it just on a whole you know like a story but you know for, like, we did we did give butch baby shit for that last week so we'll talk about that a little bit later on then we move into track four which for me is actually one of my favorite tracks i've reviewed this year it's called shredding um my human skin and this track man is what metal is all about this thing has a sick intro then that groove is like on the bell it's like oh my god like you cannot listen to this song without putting your horns up in the air honestly you're in my car i'm just like putting my hand out and just like signaling people and they're like dude what the hell is wrong with that guy and um, the transitions are really great, great variations. Um, the solo actually makes a little bit more sense. Uh, it's just a killer track. It is just brutal. It is tough. It is hair on your nutsack worthy. It, I really liked this track. Really liked it. Cool. Yeah, that's fair enough. I thought for track three was great as well. Track four, another solid one. Again, strong on the grooves, the tougher, chunky riffs. And then they do these battling riffs where you like your guitarist and your drummer are kind of Sometimes they blend together, sometimes they don't. So it feels like a bit of chaos is happening, a bit yeah. of jarringness, which I guess it goes with their themes, you know, very aggressive and attacking, yet menacing at the same time. Yeah. Hit into track five now with the remains, and it's pretty much like, yeah, no, nice chordal movements now. So they've actually brought in a few other changes from just pure tremolo picking or just some crazy lines. Uh, again, it's just more fast brutality and stuff, more like riffs that are then thrown into a meat grinder uh, with human arms and, you know, torsos and stuff like that. But. Yeah, it's cool, you know, just more more of the same, I guess. Yeah, and they, they transitioned into the solo well there, so that was quite nice. And when they do the blast beat of that remain part in the chorus, yeah. that's cool, a bit of emphasis on that part there was made quite strong. So that's just a little small subtlety changes in the songs which you got to watch out for because it is fast and it can be thrashy at times, so you really have to hear the um, difference in riffs and the different layering to help you um, 
appreciate yep. it better. Yeah, yeah Firestorm Vengeance again. It's got some sweet intro, uh, some nice beefy stuff in there. You know, it goes pretty dark as well, which is cool. Crushing riffs again. You know, it's got it's got all of it. I mean, there's the thing now. I find is that I find now by track six and seven, it's like I start when when it hits those track seven heads uh, shaved off. I did. Uh, start to zone out a little bit because I'm like, wow, this is a lot. But then it brings you back with a really cool guitar line. Like for me, every time I start getting bored or more of the same, Pat O'Brien or whatever is coming back with something that sounds really cool. And I'm like, oh, I'm back. Hey, what I miss? You know what I mean? Yeah, the cool so, thing with track six here, they do like a whole, you know, like death, like Chuck Schrodino, we do those kind of jazzy type death yeah. Um, Licks, he did one of those in there, which is quite nice again. Yeah, for sure. Breaks it up, you know. Um, yeah, I'm thinking it's pretty much the same. I mean, even the endings up to this point, I found where pretty much like just stops. Like it was like, I felt like they were returning, the way they, they'd write songs up to here was they returned to certain sections like before, like they'd go like the intro, something, 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 and then the guitar solo, revisit something from the intro again and then ends. But at least here now, they're starting to flesh out their endings a bit better. And I find like, yeah, when it just stops, it's like, Maybe it sounds cool to them, but I do like when it comes to the aggression to build it up and then the release should be like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it should just make you pop. So, and I felt like this song here did that really, really, really well. So, or at least a little bit better. Um, the riff before the guitar solo was amazing. Like, oh my God, it's just so much. These riffs, man, like you're going to find something you'll like on it. So yeah, so I really dug certain parts of this track as well. Yeah, track seven was a good track. Yeah, yeah, good strong groove. Uh, uh, Corpus Deceit. Um, yeah, guitars are insane. Just heaps of it. Um, some jarring changes though going on here. You know, it did feel like a bit of a uh, Frankenstein song to me, honest. It was kind of like there's just some, some weird things, especially going into the solo. I think it was the worst contender, but yeah. it was okay. The problem with the solo is that the best riff of the song is played when the solo is happening. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is the best riff. And I'm, what, what do I hear? Do I hear the solo? Do I listen to the riff? Yeah, Terrible. exactly. But all is forgiven with Scavenger consuming death. I absolutely love this, man. Great intro. Uh, fat song. The, peri- the pacing, the variation here is actually more pronounced than other tracks as well. Um, yeah, really like very angry man at times, which is really awesome. I thought this track was my second favorite track off the album, to be honest. Yeah, it was weird. They had like a solo in the first minute. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, because they weird. were doing solos normally at the uh, second, third. Like up until now, literally like the solo would feature just before the outro, you know, just before they do that final homage. Um, but it was cool. Like it was it was actually really, really nice. Even now track 10 with the probably a better example of one of their better endings. It, it, they tease the ending just before the guitar solo and at the end they come back to it and they flesh it out more. That's actually good storytelling. They should do some more of that. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was really cool to hear that kind of getting teased. It's like a good, like, this is what's going to happen soon, but we'll come back to it in a sec. Like, oh, wow. Like, like, like someone gives you, like, your favorite toy f- for 10 seconds, takes away for, like, all right, you'll play more after your homework. Then you're doing your homework, going, man, I'm going to get to play my favorite toy in, like, 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, do my homework badly, but who cares? Yeah, like, exactly right. It's your yeah. favorite toy. Well, that kind of sounds like a Butch Baby song where like, I need the chorus is good, the rest is shit. <laughs> is that what you're getting at? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, and coming into the last couple of tracks as well, uh, I think Destroyed Without Whatever, A Trace and Hideous uh, uh, Aisha. Uh, yeah, just more of the same, you know, I've, I found, did anything really stick out for these last two tracks for you, Danny? Um, I'm trying to look at my notes here. Uh, not really. They yeah. Tremolo picking track 12, 11. Yeah. A bit of whammy bar action, which is a bit different first time. So they did more of a guitar effects in track 11 to help break up the song a bit. I think that was different. Um, yeah, you get sending scales over blast beats. Gives a bit of an evil tone there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's about all. Really. So I want to like kind of summarize all these points off the listeners now because they're probably getting the feeling that we like might really, really enjoy this album. But I want to get some, uh, some really, uh, some more things out, flesh this out a little bit more before if they were them, they'll just come in and clean it up because that's what they do, right? Um, this thing has a lot of riffs, man. The guitar work for me is probably the starting point um, where the band either is risen to God's ear or falls way below the ground. Um, what do you think though, Danny? Is it just a guitar? I mean, you're right. The rest of the musicians are immaculate and very, very good, but I don't think no one gives the amount of variation, technicality, and pre- not just precision, but... Um, uh, just, just idea, like inspiration almost. It's crazy. No, it's true. He, the guitarist does have quite a few different tricks in this uh, album. 
again from your tremolo picking to like mute palming to like ascending or descending like sweeps all that stuff so yeah. all the tricks there fast solos technical solos yeah again some of the transitions into solos and out aren't really great sometimes like here's a solo okay thanks yeah and yeah so you're like well where did that Why? come from yeah. <laughs> so it sounds cool i guess yeah yeah but like i mean again like it's only three and a half minute song so some sections of the guitar aren't stuck on long enough but some things are clever like they use a bit of near the end it's like getting clever like these like harmonics we use and some like weird unique wailing sounds of these scales to help with again the whole tone of the album the whole chaos and aggression feel so he does a lot of tricks which makes it quite clever but again sometimes it can't be too much he's like yeah. sometimes stick on something stick on a groove when it does well like track three and track seven and four they stick on grooves longer it just makes it more enjoyable and yeah. it helps just make you appreciate the song better yeah i find that the um yeah the tracks actually had a very similar feel in the way they were structured it felt like it was like an intro part a b c d e then it'd be like then a repeat like it'll be a b c then just solo then it'll be the outro and end like it would feel like there's a there's that kind of format it was unconventional because like you were saying there isn't really a chorus or a verse it just feels like ideas that have combined together to kind of like prolong the onslaught i guess you could call it uh, but my favorite riff would always be the before the guitar solo, always. And when you said like the ones over the guitar solo, they're playing the riff. I agree with you, Danny. I think the best riffs in this album, if every track start about two to two and a half minute point and finish. And I'm not saying that the rest of the riffs are bad. I'm just like they were just better, I guess. So yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the whole point is that you, they don't put the best foot forward. They cut off those feet and then they put all the feet hanging in the chandelier for the middle section for you to enjoy. That's a disgusting chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cannibal core chandelier. We have to work with what we're given right that's here. That's true, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, guess, I guess that's the whole point, though. These guys are brutal. They're unforgiving. It's unapologetic. Like, you know, it's like a murder scene. You, know, you could put every single track of this to a... Not, not pre-horror um, like where you're trying to build the tension up. This is all like, okay, Jason's got the chainsaw and he's running after the cheerleader kind of thing. Like, that's kind of how I picture it. It's like brutal and he's cutting through them and the music's going off in the background it's like yeah, ah, and then someone like trips on a twig and then yeah. stands up and he just misses with the chainsaw yeah. and all this like, chaos yeah, and then, is happening and the arm so. cuts off then she keeps on running the blood squirting on her boyfriend and the boyfriend's like ah oh, and they're like oh, you still having sex with me I'm like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only a flesh wound yeah. um, so that's the thing it is uh, and lyrically it is as well like the way he sings one thing if you like the style this is much more easy to listen to from start to finish but if you don't i don't think he really goes any more than that but he's very strong and mm. gives a very powerful aggressive tone through the yeah. whole type thing which is unrelentless yeah it's, that's right it's pretty much like bangers mash like that's what you get or steak and whatever it is you yeah. just that's what you get for the whole thing uh phrasing is good like yeah. it's it over fast guitar playing and stuff it can be tricky to know when to hit your notes so the phrasing is quite good when to become aggressive more aggressive and more emphasis is good um a little bit of work with layering and like delay effects that, and sometimes which mm. it helps but he doesn't do that often nah. i guess he doesn't need to he's very strong and powerful so yeah but like you it. said the lyrical themes they're not for everyone um i think it's they, like you said it's sometimes they're pretty silly like even back in the day um, take it for what it is. It's like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty hammy metaphor, maybe, or maybe it's just not really even that. It's just a story that about people getting cut up, and it's was. I guess it was shocking back in the day, but now it's like it's a staple of Cannibal Corpse. So I wouldn't guess without it, people would be crying foul when the band's changed and a bunch of sellouts. I'd imagine. Yeah, because that happens quite quickly these days. Yeah, could you imagine this guy's doing like a whole political album and nothing revolves around gore? It'd be like people would be losing their minds. Yeah, it'd be like, yeah, yeah, actually. It would look like, on the streets, it looked like a Cannibal Corpse album. They were like reenacting yeah. it with their anger. They would be like, taking it out of society. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, these, these style of bands, like these kind of death bands and slightly thrashy at times, is that you know, they never do melodic songs, but they trick you with like these melodic intros. Yeah. So the melodic intro would go for like, like four bars and then that's it it's like it doesn't like repeat anywhere in the verse or in the chorus or not in the bridge it's just like that five seconds or eight seconds to help signify the, the two yeah. the two songs and it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like it gives you your chance for your breath and that's the only breath you need to take and you better make sure it's a quick and a deep one yeah. because you're being thrown straight back into the deep end of that pool until like three songs down the track <laughs> and it's another <laughs> one. Yeah. how long have I got left Wait, 15 minutes <laughs> and then after then you come back for another quick air and then you're straight back into the deep end um, yeah pretty much there's no other way of putting it I mean this album is a death metal album through and through these guys are iconic for doing the sound and I think 
by now, if you're not a fan, this album is probably not going to do it for you because it really just is more of the same, I guess. But probably, I mean, for other people, I'm not too familiar with Cannibal Corpse before this, so I have no idea what it was like beforehand. But I guess, you know, this is a good reflection of it, perhaps. Yeah, people have been saying that's going back to their roots or coming back to early stuff, this album. So if it is, great. If it isn't, oh, well, maybe they want to change it up a bit. So uh, look, if the fans love it, you'll, you'll find out by, like, sales. Yeah. And the thing is, it's an album, like, unlike uh, other albums we reviewed this year, I mean, you can listen to one or two tracks and get the vibe. You know, you, the, the the extreme nature of this album, it doesn't stop. You know, some other bands like Omafadra and that, who are death metal bands, actually, like you said, to, for a breather, they'll put in an acoustic section for, like, two minutes where it just gives you a time... Even Old Man Child, they'll do it where they would like have a nice folk metal section, folk acoustic section, just be like, yeah, we know we've been beating you. How about we'll give you a chance? But these guys are like, nah, you know, if you're going to quit, you're a pussy, you know? Um, so whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, you know what you're getting and this is the lyrics you're going to get as well. <laughs> yeah. So a violent conflict between two foes at close quarters, pound and slash, the blood will flow. And uh, if that doesn't get you going and the taste of heavy metal riffs being thrown at you at 300 BPMs, 300 different times the song will, then I would suggest give it up for this and listen to do some knitting or something or watch Better Homes and Gardens. I reckon this guitarist uses like corpse grinds windmills for like a uh, metronome. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so with that, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed our Cannibal Corpse review. Um, another episode down. And another day closer to that inevitable retail disaster known as Christmas. Yeah, exactly right. Um, our top 10 will be coming up soon, so we have to start going through our old albums for this year and find out what we like. Yeah, well, we thanks to like. the guys who responded to our ACDC kind of throwback with uh, Malcolm Young there. Also, thanks to Kaya Elliott for her suggestion this week for giving Gene the Gene uh, Simmons Award, which uh, I think is a great suggestion. I think we might even honor that with you. And uh, if you want any more questions or queries, head down to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash supermiddlebro, and uh, check us out there, I guess. And hopefully we shook you all night long. I'm Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Thank you for listening to the Super Metal Brothers, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.